As a traveler, it's a fact. You're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where Wise comes in. Wise is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. What is work culture like when you work remotely? You're not going to a place and seeing the same people and having those interactions. So what's it really like? What is the reality of that? for the solopreneur, for the location-independent entrepreneur, for the digital nomad, for the person working remotely for a company or running a business from different places around the world. We'll share some insights and thoughts on that very topic in today's show, plus an interview with a good friend of mine who shares tips on running a remote team, running distributed teams, which just means how do you manage not only the culture, but people that are working with you from around the world in different time zones and different places. How do you pull that all together and make it work? Because the reality is if you do start your own thing or even if you work remotely for somebody else and you're traveling, you still want to have that freedom to travel and explore and you're going to need help at some point or you're going to have colleagues or teammates that you collaborate with. And what's that all like? How does that all work? We're going to share again some tips on that. And plenty more as we continue to celebrate Location Independence Month here on the show. Thank you so much for being here, my friend, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. What's up, my friend? Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for stopping by and hanging out. This, of course, is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, no matter what your situation or experience. I'm honored, privileged, and humbled to bring a little travel into your ears today. And the topic is distributed teams, which sounds kind of boring, but don't worry. There's plenty of value packed into this episode. And look, this is a thing that everybody should be aware of if you're ever considering remote work as a potential opportunity for you. Maybe you're doing it right now. And by the way, working remotely doesn't mean working for yourself necessarily. We are celebrating Location Independence Month. But the reason why I like the term location independence over the term digital nomad is I think digital nomad has a connotation, rightfully so, where it's a it's a lifestyle, right? You're working, but you don't live anywhere. You're traveling around. You don't have a home base. Whereas location independent is a bit broader. If you're location independent, that means you could become a digital nomad and do that for a while, or you could work from home and base there, or you could move overseas and live in another country like I'm doing right now. I'm an expat. I live in Norway, and I'm doing my work from here. I'm not nomadic because I have an apartment right now. And that's totally cool. That's where I want to be in my life right now. And, And here's where I am. I am here doing it. And that's because I'm location independent. I have the freedom to not have to be tied to a location to earn my living, which means I can work from anywhere, earn a living from anywhere. And I happen to love what I do. And I'm so grateful that I get to do work that I love and enjoy. And I think when you open up the opportunity of remote work as an option for you, and and if you're listening to this and you think, well, maybe this isn't something that I can do or something that I would want to do because I don't really want to run my own business or whatever, then I encourage you to check out remote work as an option. Maybe you work for somebody else and they allow you to work from anywhere and they support the fact that you travel, which sounds insane, but this trend is exploding because it's just the way the world works now. Everything's online and more and more employers even are realizing, hey, 
you know, our employees are going to be more productive if they are, in fact, allowed to do the things they want to do. And they can work during hours where they feel more productive. They don't have to work during these set hours. And also from a company's perspective, you have to think they aren't paying for office space if they let their uh, employees work remotely. So when you get into bigger companies that have to rent office space, I mean, it just makes sense to be more forward thinking and to realize, hey, most of these jobs can be done from a laptop. Why do people have to come in and do these things? Now, there are a lot of ramifications to that, of course. Culturally speaking, you know, when we talk about taking a massive amount of people into like a local culture that has economic impacts that can drive the prices up for locals and all sorts of issues. And I want to give a quick shout out to Ozzy, who wrote me an email the other day, kind of bringing this back to my attention because this is a topic I've wanted to talk about on the show for a long time. And I'm trying to find the right people to interview around what the impact of the digital nomad movement and the remote work movement is on local communities and cultures. Because as travelers, we're just passing through. And if you're working remotely or a lot of digital nomads are setting up for months in a place, there, there can be more of an impact there than even just passing through. But either way, when you go to visit a place, you have an impact on it. And the idea is, of course, as travelers, we want to be respectful. Well, at least I do. And I'm sure if you're listening to this show, you feel the same way and our values are aligned. You want to be respectful of the local culture. You want to submerse yourself in it and be integrated into it. But you understand that you know there are certain choices that we make whether it's where we spend our money or things that we do that might be more beneficial to the local community or the local economy. And we can't be perfect all the time. We can just be mindful, right? We just want to be mindful as travelers to be respectful, to understand we're in this different place and to respect their culture and their customs and to to exist there in a very organic way and just try our best to... Um, I don't know if we can fit in because we're not from there, but just again, to be respectful. I mean, that's the that's the word that keeps coming up. Unfortunately, not everybody is that way or thinks that way. We can only control our own actions and make choices that we think are, are good choices. So anyway, a lot of issues around this. But the other cultural side of this outside of the impact on the local community is the work culture, right? And that's what we're talking about today. Or I should say one of the things we're talking about today, because we're also going to get a bunch of tips from our guest on running distributed teams, how you manage teams of people that are all over the place. And if you want to build any type of business or you decide you want to work remotely or something, you're going to be a part of of a team that might be spread out all over. Maybe you are right now and you know that affects your daily life. If you had the type of job like I have in the past where you know you go to a place and you get to interact with, you know, colleagues or people, for me it was people I was on tour with, and that's just a different way of being and it's much more you know, physical in the physical world, and you get to have those conversations and those interactions. And that's been one of the hardest things coming to Norway and working here because I don't have that. It's been harder to learn the language because I'm not speaking the language with locals every day. It's been a little bit difficult to meet people. Um, now I've, I've gotten to to meet some wonderful people here, but you know, I would have probably met people earlier if I had a job where I was going in and interacting with different Norwegians every day. But you don't have a total lack of culture when you work with a team because you get to interact with them, even though it's online, it might be on Skype. And we talk about some of the different tools today that we use, but you know, I use Slack a lot personally and different tools like that where we can communicate and be in touch. And there's still a culture there, but how does that look? You know, is that something you want to be a part of? What is it like if you want to grow your own thing? How do you manage a team from all over? So we're going to talk about a whole bunch of topics around this concept today. It's an awesome interview. I hope you enjoy it. Before we get into it, I should mention the guest today is the founder of Tortuga Backpacks, who is also supporting today's show. And if you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, you can get 10% off any of their packs by just typing the promo code TRAVEL. You can remember that word, TRAVEL, and get 10% off anything. I use their Tortuga Outbreaker and the set out day pack is is my normal setup right now and i love it i love their stuff 
I love that I know I have maximal space to take what I need, but I don't ever have to check a bag. It's awesome. And again, going to that link will take you to some of these bags that I recommend and some personal recommendations from me. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga. 10% off with the promo code TRAVEL. So you don't have to waste your time doing all the research to pick the right bag. I'm giving it to you on a silver platter. And uh, thanks to Fred and the team at Tortuga for not only making awesome backpacks, but extending that discount to the Zero to Travel listening community, the caravan here, that's you, my friend. And after the interview, we're going to talk a little bit about one of you in the community as I give a shout out and leave you with a quote later. It might be a quote on culture. We'll have to see. So stick around for that. Um, one more thing, sorry, before the interview. You know, we are celebrating Location Independence Month and our big project, the Paradise Pack, the ultimate educational bundle to let you live, work, and travel anywhere is available May 29th through June 4th. And if you want to get our guide to top 11 digital nomad hotspots, you can check it out, zerototravel.com slash hotspots. And that'll get you that free guide and get you on the list to be updated on the Paradise Pack. And that just shares where a lot of people that are working remotely are hanging out right now. But we also have the pros and cons on you know what it might be like to live your daily life there and what the standard costs are of living and how much does rent cost and a typical cup of coffee and a meal and all that good stuff so you can get an idea. And maybe you just travel and you might want to base in a place overseas for a little while. This guide will give you some good ideas. It's free. Uh, zero to travel.com slash hotspots. All one word. You can pick that up whenever whenever you have time. Don't forget to grab that. So let's get into the interview now, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. I am so excited to welcome back longtime friend of the show and longtime friend of me, myself. I don't know. I'm not... I don't know what's grammatically correct here, but anyway, he's here. He's looking right at me, and it's always a pleasure to see his smiling face. Fred from TortugaBackpacks.com. Welcome back to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. It is uh, It is nice to be back, even though that doesn't really mean uh, any physical place <laughs> or we're sharing a physical space That's true. or anything, but it still feels good. That's true. Welcome back to this just random idea of this environment that exists somewhere in I don't know. This is this podcast is really an illusion, actually, right now. This isn't really even Welcome happening. Welcome back to the Skype call, right? Yeah. Man, you know, it was such a pleasure when we got to record in person in Portugal. Now we're doing it over Skype. We got to make one of some of these in-person interview things happen again, man. Because we had, we had such a good time hanging in Portugal. Or I did, anyway. I can't speak for you, but... <laughs> <laughs> I did, too. And the uh, so I live here uh, by Oakland Airport, and yeah. they do some international flights, including Norwegian Air. So ah. I've been saying I have to go to all the places that I can fly to from, from this airport just because it's closer to me and I don't have to go all the way to SFO. So I guess I have to put uh, Norway on that list. Yeah, man. And all the places where you have a free room to stay. I mean, that, that doesn't hurt. That's a plus, you too. <laughs> I mean, we gotta, we got to be able to afford those, those fancy meals out somehow, right? Yeah, our, uh, our romantic uh, candlelit dinners. <laughs> we have, had, have been known to have a couple of those. All right. We are, speaking of being spread around and flying all over the place and all that, we're talking about distributed teams today, which sounds like, whoa, that sounds like a sexy topic. Distributed teams. But we should first, I'm going to let you define what that is so we can create some context for this conversation and why this is an important episode to pay attention to if you're somebody who works and travels or might want to have that type of lifestyle where you can work while you travel. Yeah, probably means something bit different to everybody or there's at least a whole spectrum of uh of what that may mean uh for us at tortuga we're a hundred percent remote or distributed whichever word you like uh which means that we have no central office we have no i guess even any kind of headquarters where you know there's some companies where a few people work out of the office or the headquarters or whatever and everyone else is remote. Uh, that's sort of an in-between option. But for us, everyone either works from home, co-working space, 
anywhere else they please, whatever works for them. Uh, I work mostly from home and also use a co-working space. And right now I'm recording from home, specifically my bedroom with the uh, computer and mic on top of my uh, dresser here. Yeah, it's not all that fancy sometimes. (laughs) Well, here at the Zero to Travel podcast, we always love the work from anywhere thing in the job description, right? Like whether you're working for somebody else or you're working for yourself, if you can do it from anywhere, of course, that frees up people to travel. And I imagine that having that as a perk for for your company, Fred, is 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 a perk. You know, if people are applying, does it tend to attract a certain type of person because of that? Or is it just sort of a consequence to like what you already need anyway? Uh, yeah, I think you get people who who value it, right? It is a it is a perk, just like at some places, maybe it's like extra vacation time or certain healthcare coverage or, uh, you know, the the ball pit and foosball tables in Silicon Valley. It is a perk and attracts a certain type of person. Um, I think a lot of people want to want to be able to work remotely or from home or what have you. Um, but there are also a lot of people who like the energy of going into an office, sharing a physical space with everyone, that kind of thing. So they won't value it as highly, I find. Uh, it does tend to be a lot of people who, uh, you know, of course, love traveling or uh, have kind of seen have seen the downsides of an office or co-located thing. So uh, maybe they've had long commutes. Maybe they've had uh, unhealthy work environments where, you know, they're overworked and uh, have kind of burnt out at, uh, you know, an agency consulting firm, those sort of companies that uh, tend to burn people out and are looking for something a bit different. You know, they they understand that working remotely, they can kind of reclaim some of their time and schedule and uh, have hopefully a healthier kind of work life balance or or integration if they go that way. Yeah. And I guess that depends on who you're working for. Right. When you mentioned reclaiming time and schedule, because some companies might still require you to work, you know, between X hour and X hour and others, maybe not so much. And we'll actually talk about this a little bit later, how you get results and, and how you set it up. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned getting burned out and we're going to refer to this as the traditional working environment, right? Like the, the environment where you, you go to an office or a place every day and everybody's at the same place every, every day there, every working day, I should say. Have you done that before? I have. I guess my main kind of post-college job experience was at Google, which was co-located. I was in the SF office, so near the headquarters, uh, which is a little bit further south in Mountain View in Silicon Valley, but not at the uh, at the mothership, as they say. So I uh, spent a few years there, and uh, yeah, I started to have a lot of these same feelings of like, I didn't even have a very long commute. I was, you know, on a, a San Francisco city bus for 20 minutes or whatever. But even so, uh, started to feel a little silly that I had to do that every day to then go and sit on a computer and talk to primarily one to two other people who were on my team. And, you know, over time kind of uh, saw some things that I did not love about uh, working in a in a co-located environment. Uh, when you started Tortuga Backpacks, was that the first thing you started after Google? Yes, but not after. It was... Uh, concurrent <laughs> at the same time okay because yeah. um i know we've well we've talked about your story on the podcast before and everything like that and everybody knows about the awesome tortuga backpacks as we talk about them on the show and we have been talking about your products for years now i don't think we've talked about like you leaving google because that's one of those companies where you hear the name you're like oh google and you're like wow i feel like leaving you know some crappy job is a lot to start your own thing is a lot easier than maybe I guess what I'm saying is if you're working for Google, most people would equate that to like, oh, you found like a great place to work and it's flexible and like a lot of stability. And it's like one of the best, always known as one of the best companies to work for. Was it like extra hard to leave a company like that? Yeah. I mean, all of their uh, their perks and the way the company is built is, I think it's in a positive way, but it's also kind of built to make you be very comfortable like you sometimes hear the phrase golden handcuffs, yeah. um, you know, it's <laughs> a little too comfortable. <laughs> yeah, it can be hard to make a, uh, you know, a lateral move is one thing to whatever, say a different tech company or startup or something if they had a similar work environment. But, um, you know, going somewhere else, if you're whatever bored, one new challenge uh, or whatever, uh, it can be hard to take a quote unquote step back in terms of the perks, the flexibility, the 
free food, uh, et cetera. So yeah, it's challenging. Plus, uh, like you were kind of alluding to a minute ago, everyone will tell you that uh, you're crazy for wanting to start some weird backpack company and leave, especially something that you don't know anything about. It's not like I was leaving to start, you know, uh, a startup or create the next Google or something. Uh, I was getting into something that had nothing to do with that. And uh, I had no expertise in but you loved travel and you loved the idea of starting a travel backpack company. So that was, I guess that was the thing that fueled the fire. Yeah. And I mean, the part of this is uh, that I was a little privileged or lucky or whatever to say that I felt like, well, if I crash and burn and fall on my face, I can either probably get another job at Google or I can use that on my resume to find something else in that category or uh, in tech or something. But then you start and you're like, there's no going back, right? This is. Well, now I'm way too spoiled uh, <laughs> from being able to work from home and you know, running my own thing. So, yeah, I think I would. Uh, it would be a very hard adjustment going back or, or going to any other job. But it, was it a hard adjustment in the beginning? Like, was there a moment where you were sitting in your bedroom or something? You're like, man, I'm not collecting like the paycheck I was. Or I mean, did it kind of you, you were starting it on the sides, so you were building it up. But were there any moments of like doubt early on? Yeah, for sure. There, uh, I think it was what about five years between uh, the idea for Tortuga and actually getting like a real p- paycheck from it. So uh, I worked at Google for the first year of that time, and then was doing some freelancing and stuff along the way. So you know, I had some money coming in, but there was a lot of variance there, and I got to slowly watch the uh, money that I've saved up uh, at my job kind of slowly be depleted uh, each year, depending on how much was coming in. So. So, yeah, there were a lot of times when, you know, the first couple of years would sell uh, a handful of backpacks a month, like two or three. And it was exciting when I got the notification that one sold, but uh, it was not very exciting at the end of the month to uh, have only sold a few. So, yeah, there were a lot of moments where it was like, you know, you're kind of taking a look in the mirror and wondering, like, what the heck am I doing? Uh, am I insane? Is there I think there's something here. That's what I thought in the good days and the bad days is like you know, thought it was completely nuts. <laughs> in the end, the traditional working environment wasn't for you. And I'm wondering, based on your experience, well, I guess we can get into company culture in a little bit. I, I should first ask you, how many people are working with you to help you build, market, manage, sell these awesome backpacks of yours? We are now a team of nine. Nine. Okay. And those are nine full-time people? Are they are they like full-time employees, freelancers? Like, how does that work for you? Well, it ends up being a mix because since we're remote, um, uh, we're based in the States. So all of our teammates in the States are kind of normal full-time employees, get a W-2 at the end of the year, that sort of thing. There isn't a great structure for uh, hiring people from outside the country. So, you know, if you're a, if you're a huge company, you have like subsidiaries or other companies set up in all the regions you operate and, you know, you have all the infrastructure, but for smaller companies, and I've looked at some of the other remote companies, they tend to hire non-U.S. employees as contractors and they basically get a, a 1099. So for us, we try to treat everyone equally in terms of, uh, benefits, time off, all that sort of thing. There's just some, uh, I guess, logistical differences between the two that uh, it's just to manage, um, you know, how how people are paid and how they're kind of classified. As general advice for somebody that is building their own thing and you're traveling, you're doing it. I mean, whether you're traveling and building your own thing or you're in your bedroom or whatever, this is, I find that there's always this tipping point where I'm calling it like this entrepreneurial tipping point. Well, there are several, but one big one is when to start bringing on people because like, it's usually like, you get burnt out and you know you need help, but you can't necessarily like feel like you can comfortably afford it yet. So how did that work for you? And what is your advice around when you should hire people or when you should hire your first or second person to help out, even if it's just freelance? Because I know this is a pretty common struggle for people. Yeah, it's a tough... Uh, it definitely feels like you're crossing some threshold when you do, whether that's exciting because you're able to grow the team if that's what you want, or if it's scary because suddenly you have to pay other people or, you know, some people want to start a thing and do the uh, solo entrepreneur thing. And, uh, you know, that can be a, a tough choice to make if they want to to bring on other people. But at some point, you're going to pass some point where it is harder to either do everything yourself or to automate away some things. And you kind of have to decide between, 
you know, keeping it smaller and sort of checking your ambitions and keeping it to something you can do. Or if you want to grow it, um, you know, you're probably going to need to bring on some people at some point. It was definitely a hard, hard call for us, uh, mostly because it means you're going to start spending money. And that was a little scary. It means extra responsibility for these people, even if they're just freelancers. Uh, so all of that was a little little intimidating. Plus, you know, you don't want to botch the first hire and screw up the whole thing. And then you feel a little burnt and, you know, you're sort of worried about future hires. So we definitely held out a little bit longer than than necessary than we should have maybe. But after talking it through with a lot of people, including uh, Travis, kind of brought this up one of the first times that we met. Yeah, other people kind of helped me understand the challenges and and kind of get over some of the worries that I had. Uh, because, you know, of course, some are, some are sort of unfounded, like, oh, will we get anyone good? Will anyone want to work with us? There are plenty of great people out there in all different situations. So uh, we did end up crossing that threshold. And our first two hires were kind of freelance, part-time basis. And then then we grew it up from there. So that helped us kind of start, start a bit slower, uh, ease into the process. We just kind of had the the hiring process rather than having to worry about all the logistical stuff. And then, uh, you know, as we, uh, as they worked with us more, then we could bring people on to, you know, full-time basis, set up all those systems, and then eventually do more hiring later. If you start with freelancers or smaller jobs, then you can, you can get used to managing that. And you can also get used to having that being a part of your life and your business and giving up that money and what that's like. And yes, yeah, so like taking a baby step, it will almost be the equivalent of, Hey, you're going to take a round the world trip and you haven't traveled a lot, but maybe you're going to take a weekend away first, you know, camping or whatever and get used to uh, the lifestyle. You're going to take a long bike tour. You're going to take a two day bike tour first, you know, for example, and that I would imagine most people have not done any hiring before and, uh, you know, haven't gone through all this stuff. So it's a good way to, you know, try to hire someone. If it doesn't work out, then obviously as a freelancer, it's pretty easy to uh, kind of end that relationship and move on rather than, you know, going from zero to trying to trying to hire someone full time and handle all the work and paperwork that's involved with that. Well, how do you find the right people? You mentioned that being one of your fears. Is there like a, an energy mojo to that? I have found kind of the way you kind of write job descriptions or describe what it's going to do for them can really dictate the type of person you attract. Also, of course, where you post and things like that. What is your advice around finding the right people, even if it's early on? I guess the first step is to know what you want and to actually go about defining that, right? Uh, I feel like there's a lot of things where I think I have it clear in my head and then I go to write it down because, you know, it's going to be a job listing you'll send out or whatever. And as you start trying to write it down, you realize I don't have it very clear in my head and I need to need to be more specific with this and be clear about exactly what uh, what we're looking for in a person, what kind of skills, all that sort of thing so that so that you can find the the right people. Um, I've used a few different resources and kind of uh, cribbed some of the questions and uh, strategies from, uh, including a book called Who? W-H-O question mark. Uh, I think the question mark's in the title. But it has a lot of things about, uh, there's a lot about the interview process, but they also, in creating a job listing, create this sort of scorecard. So it's less focused on, you know, three years of experience doing this, two years doing that. And it's more about okay, what are the outcomes that I want from this person or this role? And then it makes it a little bit easier for you to, you know, as objectively as possible, try to see, okay, I'm talking to this person. Do I think they can accomplish these three things rather than just like, you know, have they used some software tool for three years? That really helped me kind of clarify, you know, why are we hiring someone? What do we want them to achieve? We've hired people in a bunch of different ways. Uh, one that has worked out well for us and this may be the case for other people is if they've uh, been been operating the business for a bit and then finally come to that point where they want to hire someone. But we've also hired from our customers and uh, kind of followers, newsletter subscribers, all that, uh, especially for customer service. That was one when we were starting out where, you know, we're kind of worried about posting uh, that sort of job because, you know, a lot of people look at it as like, oh, anyone can do that. That's like an easy job. And we're worried about getting like, either too many applications or people who didn't take it very seriously. So we kind of turned to our list and past customers, which at that point wasn't a ton of people, but um, we turned to them and kind of said like, here's what we're looking for. We know that if you're reading this, you're probably, you already have experience with the product. Hopefully you're passionate about the product or the company. And, you know, uh, if this is a job you'd be interested in doing and helping other customers and other travelers with this, 
then, you know, fill out this form or, you know, if they knew someone. So we, we got a lot of good people through that and, uh, and also referrals. So we've ended up hiring a couple customer service reps by doing that and talked to plenty more people who also seemed really good and promising. So uh, even if your list of customers isn't that long, it may still be worth, you know, looking to them either to hire or for a referral. You might think, oh, well, hiring people's down the road. But I mean, I was hiring people for different things very early on, even before, even when things just started, because there's certain things I just didn't know how to do. For example, technically getting websites up and stuff like that. So they might not be a permanent member of a team that doesn't, you know, and you have nine people now, but when you're starting out, if you don't know how to do something, it's better to, to get somebody to help you do it than to not start the thing at all. And that's why these are important tips, I think, too, Fred, because like oftentimes, if you do find the right people early, then they can grow with you. And that's a really cool thing. Even if you're just hiring someone for some simple job on Fiverr, Upwork or whatever, that that is still hiring. Like maybe you don't think of it as such because it's just for a one-off job or you didn't put a ton of time into it or whatever. But that are those are kind of the training wheels for hiring. And, you know, I would encourage people to to think about it as such and use that as even if it's just a little simple job, to use that as a learning opportunity for writing the job descriptions, vetting people, finding the right people, because hopefully you can use that experience more in the future. And, you know, maybe you go back to someone who they just did one little job for you before and, you know, now they're going to do a couple jobs a month. Then maybe at some point that grows into something even bigger. I think one of the coolest things about like running a team, because we, we have a distributed team as well, a remote team or whatever you want to call it, is like this idea that you also get to create the company culture and how it is for them. And you alluded to it a little bit earlier. You said, you know, coming out of the Google, the more traditional thing, like you didn't want to necessarily do it the same way. And it sounds like you're like, well, if I feel that way, then I imagine people that work with me, you know, (laughs) want to have the flexibility too. like, are you like consciously trying to create a culture at Tortuga or is it more just based on like, Hey, I know what my values are. And like, I'm just going to find people with like-minded values and we're all just going to work together and make this thing happen more of like an organic process. Like how does that work for you? I think a little bit of both. They're trying to kind of walk that tightrope or something. Even early on, we tried to write down our core values and kind of do some of these sort of exercises that I had, you know, read about in different books and uh, tried to think about beforehand. But even when we were like three or four people, we were trying to do that, even if, you know, we knew that that may mean scrapping those eventually as we were uh, growing. But I still thought it was helpful to to write those down. And uh, I can send you some resources after if you want to put them in the show notes. But there's some good exercises around defining what those values are and getting away from the like, the really generic kind of mission statements and stuff that most companies have that, you know, they get some people in a room, they write these things and then they put in a drawer and no one ever like looks at them or thinks about them again or, or lives by them. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. The, you know, one of the good exercises is like, if you don't have a story about a time that you lived up to this value or you use this value to like make some really hard decision, then it's probably not your real value, right? <laughs> Everyone knows what well, something nice to write down, like that's the easy part. But it's more about uh, not using that to kind of craft a culture, but using that to sort of codify what your existing culture is, right? Because even if you didn't think about it or try or whatever, if you have two people, four people, uh, whatever, even at that point, like, there is a, a culture in some way, even if you don't think about it, right? It's uh, it, there's going to be whether you want one or not. So do you want to like, intentionally create it or <laughs> yeah right exactly yeah it's gonna happen right like i mean you could look at companies like uber that get a lot of bad publicity about theirs and um you know you could say that that's uh because they didn't create a culture but they did have a culture right it's like what the what the ceo does that you know kind of sets a tone for everyone another good filter is like when people do something what is rewarded and what is punished like that creates the culture right so if uh, at uber or something if you're breaking rules but that's leading to good outcomes for the company, like that's probably going to be rewarded there. And so that tells everyone else, hey, we value this behavior. So you should do more of that. So whatever you start rewarding, you'll probably get more of. And if you punish something, you'll probably get less of it. So every little action can kind of have some have some influence on it. So uh, yeah, you have to be mindful of that as early as possible, because I think it's probably pretty hard to change that culture without changing the people in it. And also, uh, the obvious obstacle is you know, not being able to see the people and not being able to see the interactions among people because it's 
I don't know, it can be easier to pick up a vibe in a room where, you know, how do you pick up a vibe on, on Slack? I mean, how do you, what's some of your advice around fostering these values and this culture while not being able to see each other? Like, what do you do to keep things going in a positive way? It's definitely a challenge. So we do retreats to get people in the room together once or twice a year, which kind of helps with that. And I feel like leads to some some team bonding, which is good. It's definitely hard. You have to create a culture of uh, of transparency or where people are willing to speak up when they're having a tough time or you know, have a challenge with uh, something they're working on or with a teammate or whatever, which isn't easy to do unless you know you constantly repeat it and model some of that behavior yourself. Uh, I guess that's the thing I've learned, especially over the last couple of years, that while I think of myself as like just another member of the team, just being a, a co-founder and the CEO means things that I do or say carry extra weight. I don't necessarily want that to always be the case, but it is kind of an implicit thing. So I have to be careful about what a bit about what I say because it can carry more weight than I intended. But the flip side is that when you want to enforce some behaviors or encourage behaviors, I guess, if you do it yourself, then that creates uh, more opening for people to feel like it's okay to do themselves. And I always tell people that it's very hard for me to get a read on someone over a, a Slack call as much as I may try. And, you know, you want to be empathetic and stuff. But at some point, if you're having a, a tough time, like you just have to speak up and tell me, which, you know, that's not a great uh, silver bullet sort of answer. But hopefully it uh, kind of tips people off to to what behaviors you need to be asking for or or encouraging. What's some of the other advice you'd share around leadership and management? Because like you said, as much as you want to think of yourself as just another member of the team, you're probably not being seen in the same way that you're thinking about yourself. So do you have any other things that you've implemented in your life or things you've read or anything that's helped you with managing a team? On that, are there logistical things? Like, do you do like regular meetings and things like that? Like, I guess I'd like to hear philosophically and also logistically. Yeah, I guess one of the big philosophy things for me is to... So we're a pretty flat team in that everyone reports to me. There's not like layers of middle management or anything like that. So um, what I try to encourage, um, both for the current team and then, um, you know, hopefully this would uh, influence future managers or whatever that we would hire or promote from within. But, um, you know, uh, I've stolen some language from a company called Help Scout and they call people rather than like uh, uh, individual contributors and managers or whatever, they call them players and coaches, which I think is a helpful analogy because, you know, it's the the players, the individuals who are doing the, the real work. And then the coach's job is not to like, okay, decide everything we're going to do, tell you how to do it. Uh, and then you as the employee, just like carry out instructions. Uh, we try to use that kind of player coach thing so that the, the coach or manager is, uh, helping to kind of like define the goals and some of the context around the work. And then the team can do the actual work themselves. So, you know, maybe the coach is helping to, uh, you know, kind of design the system if it was in sports. And then the the players are the ones actually carrying it out and deciding like, you know, am I going to shoot or pass right now kind of thing. So um, like giving, you're giving the big sort of, picture framework and they're executing in their own style and using their own like talents and skills, basically. Yeah, they can decide, you know, how to do the work, how to, you know, if you're uh, whatever your job is, there's a million different things you could choose, a million different tools you can choose is uh, to accomplish some goals. So uh, we try to leave that as much as possible up to up to the team so that it's a little bit more, uh, you know, bottoms up rather than uh, just strictly top down. Yeah, cool. How do you make sure stuff gets done? Like, do you set benchmarks? Do you have just end goals and timelines like how do you how do you keep things moving forward i guess the answer to this is kind of a bridge between uh the last question and this one so one of the the things we do just to make sure that uh you know we're staying in as as good of communication as possible is uh i have weekly or bi-weekly one-on-ones with everyone so just kind of 30 minute to an hour long call checking in on them see what they need help with see kind of what they're working on help them prioritize things if if that's ever in question uh, and then we also have team meetings with roughly the same cadence. So that tries to keep everyone kind of communicating and working together. So that helps me kind of understand where where people are on projects. 
Um, and then we also use Asana as kind of our project management uh, tool. So we use that so that everyone can see, okay, there's some bigger project with, you know, three different people working on it. And you can see all the deadlines and who's who's working on what, where we are with everything. So that can kind of keep people on the same page, even though we're not, uh, not in the same office. And um, in terms of keeping track of what's getting done, um, I think that's probably one of the number one questions about remote work. But I, I wasn't a manager uh, at Google or anything, so my experience is, is limited. But I think it's actually kind of easier in remote work because all you have are the results. You can't be deceived by like by someone being at their desk for 12 hours a day and not getting any work done. You know, if you're in a normal office, you're like, oh, he's always in early and stays late. Like, I got a meeting a, with the a Bobs, performer. you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like that's removed as a you know, either positive or negative signal. And all you see is what people got done. So um, I I think it actually should be easier in remote work because there's not those other uh, distractions like that. Hmm. Well, this kind of goes back to what you were saying about the traditional job, like working certain hours and all that. And it sounds like for you guys, it's more about the results than you have to be here at this particular... I mean, you certainly have your meetings and stuff, but do people have... At Tortuga, do you guys have flexibility to kind of set your own working hours to an extent we do uh it does seem like remote teams are kind of split on that like i know there are some that are very uh say they're most of the employees are either in the u.s or on like u.s time and they have a little bit more of uh strict rules around you know whatever business hours are uh which does matter for some employees like uh our customer service right it could be role based too yeah they're roughly you know within normal uh kind of business hours but even within that time we try to give people the flexibility to like you know whatever you want to work for a few hours take a long lunch and then finish your day or however you like to break it up that you're most productive um you know we kind of encourage people to do that even customer service right like we want to provide good service between uh nine and five pacific roughly but um you know you can still you don't have to be sitting there like answering every email the second it pops up like you know you can take take time throughout the day there and that's another one that i i try to model so a few days a week i'll take a longer longer break midday and like have a long lunch and go to the gym and then come back and kind of do a second block of work in the afternoon so uh, i think that's another one that like i want to model for everyone so that it's not like lip service and saying, oh, yeah, you can do whatever you want. And then I'm working, you know, 12 straight hours every day or something crazy. So, um, you know, that's another one where I have to, like, live that behavior or everyone else thinks I'm just saying that you can do it and don't really don't really want them to do it. Yeah, totally. All right. Early, you talked about foreign employees and payment and all that type of stuff. What What's going on, man? What's the deal? Like people, people that travel, I mean, and they're going to build something or run something. And like we already talked about hiring on five or even small jobs and stuff like that. You're going to be running or managing something from like remotely. You know, you're not going to be in the same physical space like at certain points or at all points. As people consider growing or bringing people on, like certainly certain platforms provide like payment if you use like Upwork or something I know like they'll deal with the payment and all the tax issues but like do you just have any advice around people like maybe starting out and then also maybe some more advanced advice as well uh yeah it's it's super annoying you should probably know that going (laughs) in like I feel like I should give that disclaimer yeah um a lot of a lot of annoying paperwork and stuff, but uh, luckily most things you'll need to do. There's some kind of you know modern software tool that you can do it online as as easily as uh, as government rules will allow, I guess. Um, so yeah, starting out, um, you know, Upwork, Fiverr, those kind of platforms are good, and they handle a lot of the a lot of the time tracking, payments, etc. Uh, kind of within the platform. Um, usually, people will then upgrade to uh, PayPal, if it's someone that you're working with on a recurring basis, you trust them, um, you know, kind of move over to PayPal. Uh, and then we're at the point. So uh, like I was saying earlier, we have U.S. employees and uh, we kind of manage them through a tool called Gusto, G-U-S-T-O. Um, that's sort of a cloud based payroll kind of thing. And they have some other other tools for managing stuff. But that's sort of the big one. 
And then for non-US employees, we've moved uh, even for some freelancers to a, a tool called TransferWise uh, that allows for uh, lower fees on international uh, money transfers. So PayPal can be a little expensive um, as a fee uh, for people. So TransferWise is more like, I think it's one, about 1% 1 of the payment, uh, which I think PayPal is like 3% or something like that. So uh, it can be meaningful if you're paying someone, you know, a decent amount of money every month. Um, and yeah, that tool has, uh, has been helpful for us because it's pretty easy to use and uh, much appreciated by anyone receiving money for uh, for a much lower fee. I know you can send money like on PayPal as like friends and family, and then you don't pay the fee. Is that like a is that a no no? Uh, we've tried to move away from it over time, especially for anything recurring. Like you know, if you're sending a few thousand dollars to someone every single month, just sort of a, a concern about that being flagged eventually. By PayPal or by somebody else? I assume by PayPal and then pass the log to someone else. Got it. Okay. I don't. I don't know if that's a real concern. You might be totally fine, and you know. I'm just cool curious because that, that's it. something we do, and I'm just wondering if we shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> I'll pass your name along to someone. Oh, great! Thanks. Well, if you're listening to this and you work for PayPal, please don't say anything. Um, <laughs> now, what are some of the mistakes to avoid? Oh boy, I guess uh, I guess there can be a lot. One of the biggest challenges with remote work is kind of adjusting to it, right? A lot of people haven't worked remotely or have very limited experience doing that, and so you add that difficulty into you know starting a new job, learning coworkers, learning how the company works, all that sort of thing, and it makes getting started even harder. So I think one of the mistakes I've made in the past is just uh, assuming that you can kind of like plug people into the system. Even though people are, you know, really smart, really capable, excited to get started, like, you know, there are no no red flags about it. But even the most uh, kind of capable, excited people will still have a learning curve, whether that's to remote work or just joining the company. So um, I think that's a mistake I've made in the past where I wasn't like hands on enough with new hires or staying in even more frequent contact. Um, you know, that's someone you need to be talking to probably every day, even if it's just uh you know, shorter check-in, um, just to make sure they uh, can kind of navigate that and also feel connected, right? It's easy to like start your first day and, you know, everyone says hi on Slack and then then you feel like no one talks to you for like two days. <laughs> right. I can imagine like, that happening. What is this place? So, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you're just jumping into like an existing company, social structure, whatever. Um, you know, maybe you don't know the, the gifts and memes that we're passing around or whatever. Um, so, you know, definitely a learning curve there. So I think uh, in the future when we hire again, I'll stay in uh, even more frequent contact with people because, you know, the remote work thing can be isolating until you, uh, you know, you, you figure out some new routines versus an old job where you're used to just talking to the same group of people every day. So uh, I think I would try to try to better navigate that for people and help them get from like, you know, day one to feeling like they have a routine that they're really excited about and confident in and feel like connected and supported and all that stuff. That's great stuff, man. How many years have you been running a team now of varying amounts? Uh, I guess we, our first hires were towards the end of 2014. So three years of any team and then maybe two years of, uh, kind of a slightly larger team. Yeah, it's about five years. Awesome. You aren't nomadic right now. So you're like you're at home, like you said. I mean, do you ever have a desire? Like, are you ever going to have an office somewhere where people like can go? Or is that just like, no, no way we're doing that? <laughs> uh, I would be open to having like a small office with some space, but it, it wouldn't be like, I don't know, no one would be required to be there certain hours or anything. It would be <laughs> right. more for like giving myself a little bit more space and then Hey, if you're on the West Coast, you know, you can Got drop it. in. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's a different kind of thing, I guess, than a full time. Yeah. yeah. Or if we had, you know, as we grow, if we had like four or five people in one city, then, you know, it might make sense to have a small office space so they can share, you know, physical space if they want, but uh, not really inclined to waste the money on it if people aren't using it. Cool. Any other like tools or resources you want to mention that are key? I mean, we've mentioned a bunch. We mentioned like Slack, Asana. Gusto, TransferWise, the book Who. I know we're probably missing a bunch, but I mean, is there any, are there any other standout resources like 
for people to check out? You know, the the thing that gave me the confidence to start building a remote team was seeing that other companies were doing it or that it could be done. So I guess if you're new to it, I would I would check out some of the companies that um, that do it and that talk about it or write about it. So uh, Basecamp was probably one of the earliest ones. They have a good blog, Signal versus Noise. They put out a book called Remote that's a pretty good read, but has some nice lessons for for working remotely. Uh, Buffer has a blog or a part of their blog called Buffer Open that's very much about transparency, and a lot of that is about remote work. I mentioned the company Help Scout earlier. They make uh, customer service software, but they also blog about some of this stuff. I write about this stuff. So I would encourage people to to look at some of the companies already doing it. And uh, you know whether or not you adopt any of their tactics is, is up to you. But I think it is helpful to just see like, hey, there are companies doing this. They're functional. It can be done. It can work. So that when you run into problems or if you're having trouble getting started, uh, you remember that it's possible and, uh, and you can get there too. Yeah. Do you want to share your personal blog where you have written about some of this stuff? Yeah. Uh, that one's just at uh, my name, fredparada.com. Two R's, two T's. Um, we've written about it a bit, or other members of uh, Tortuga have also written about it a bit. At uh, uh, We have a Medium publication, which uh, we don't post too much anymore, but uh, there's still some old posts about remote work, and that's just on yourterms.com. Before you go, tell us about some of your new backpacks, man, because we got this... We got this 10% discount code for Zero to Travel listeners because you're a friend of the show and that's that's what we do here. And I use the Tortuga Outbreaker constantly um, as well as the Day Pack and been trying some of the other packs recently as well. And uh, by the way, discount code, if you just type in the word travel at the end when you check out, then you can get a 10% discount on anything at tortugabackpacks.com. But uh, since I got the man here, the man, the myth, the legend, I thought we'd hear a little bit more about... Uh, some of the new packs you have and who they're for. So we released a new uh, kind of full-size bag at the end of last year, end of 2017, uh, called the Set Out Backpack. And uh, the idea there was to kind of give a a mid-range of features, like just the right amount of organization, as much packing space as you could fit, and also to design a bag that fit in well into a city environment. You know, a lot of people still have the uh, kind of tall, skinny hiking bags, which is what we've always tried to... Uh, create an alternative to, but you know, those kind of scream backpacker or tourist or whatever. So even though the set out is a larger bag, so you can fit all your stuff, uh, it is designed to blend in a bit more to a city. So, you know, you feel a bit more like, uh, uh, it's a city backpack or just kind of going about your day in that city. Um, and then the first half of this year, we have a few releases coming up, uh, including one in March that, uh, will be about, uh, some accessories for that bag. So packing cubes, a packable day pack so that you know you can carry that around during the day, whatever you need, and then pack it away in your bag when you're traveling. So uh, you know you you have a little bit of extra carrying capacity, but you can also do the one bag thing if uh, if that's what you're after. Awesome, man! Thanks. Yeah, I mean it's all the stuff you need for travel, right? Like if you're a traveler, you need a backpack. Pack, you know, I guess you don't need packing cubes, but I highly recommend them. I use them all the time because it helps you keep your stuff organized. It's just way easier to pull out if you don't know what it is. Just like a, almost like a small mini storage, you know, for different items. And it's so great when you're like, oh, I just know all my electronics are in this one bag, right? And you can pull that out and get your chargers or all my underwears in this bag or whatever. Um, and then the packable day packs. I mean, this is all just core stuff. So I really encourage you to check out tortugabackpacks.com. Um, if you need some of that core stuff and again, discount code travel, if you type in the word travel, when you check out, you get 10% off of anything. Thanks for hooking us up with that, Fred, by the way. Of course. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, man. We appreciate you, um, sharing all this knowledge around distributed teams and, uh, we'll put all these links in the show notes or remote teams or whatever you want to call them. Again, if you're starting something up at some point, you're going to need some help. You're going to be managing people remotely. And Fred, you gave some awesome advice today around that. So thanks so much, man. Cool. Thanks. And if people have questions or are getting started or whatever, feel free to uh, to reach out to me. Twitter is probably the, the easiest place. Thanks. Thank you. There you have it, my friend. I want to thank Fred for stopping by today's show. Thank you, Fred. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. And Fred's the man. He's always sharing as much value as he can and just doing it in a transparent and honest way. And I love their stuff. 
Tortuga Backpacks. Again, they're supporting today's show and they have been supporting the show for a while and I use their stuff religiously when I'm traveling, uh, particularly the Tortuga Outbreaker and the day pack. The most recent day pack is the set out. If you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, you can get 10% off any of their packs by typing the promo code TRAVEL and you'll get 10% off anything or their packing cubes. They have a whole bunch of other stuff that uh, that can help you out in terms of travel. And I love what they do there. So I want to just say thanks to them for supporting the show. And if you go through that link and you do use the promo code and do anything, you're also supporting this show and my work here. So I thank you very much for that. Check that out. And got a couple things to get to here before I let you go. First, a shout out to... Stefan. He listens to the show. He said, nice being part of the community. My name is Stefan, 27 and from the Netherlands. I'm now on the road for almost 15 months and absolutely love it. Quit my job in December 2016 at the National Dutch Airlines. And since February 2017, I started my adventure around the world. Started out in Europe, the Middle East, Asia, Southeast Asia, and now Australia. Working here to fund my further travels and started listening to your podcast after a few months. Finally signed up for the community. Till now, I love it. And every day, I listen to at least one of your episodes. Don't know yet where my next destination is. South America is still on my list, but would also love to go back to India and explore the country by motorbike. All options are open. So, uh, Stefan, just wanted to say congrats. You know, you left your job. Not an easy thing to do. And it sounds like you don't have any regrets. You've been at it for 15 months. And it's always great to hear from people listening to this show and people from all over the world. You know, on the last show, last week, there was somebody from Slovakia. This week, got somebody from the Netherlands. And I love getting these uh, these emails and tweets and reviews on the podcast or whatever, however you want to reach out and say hi and let me know who you are and what you're up to. I love to get personal letters from, from you. So if you haven't reached out yet, get in touch with me anytime I read all these things. And it's really an honor to hear from people and that they take the time to write and to compliment the show and to share their story. And look, you don't have to have quit your job to travel and you know, wait till then to drop me a line. Just drop me a line and say hi. Let me know where you're at in your journey. And I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much once again for listening to this show. And I'm going to leave you with a quote in just a second. First, uh, one last thing. Don't forget, if you want to grab that top 11 digital nomad hotspots guide, uh, you go to zero to travel.com slash hotspots all one word, and you'll get that guide. And we call it a digital nomad hotspots guide, but uh, it's remote work, or you know, you could even say long-term travel, or you know, people that like to travel slow and base somewhere. There are uh, eleven different options for you, including um, research-based pricing, pros and cons of each place, and I think you'll get a kick out of it. I think you'll enjoy checking it out. And the guide is free, and it'll also put you on a list to learn more about the Paradise Pack, which is launching. May 29th through June 4th, 2018. So hopefully you haven't missed it if you're listening to this. It is the ultimate bundle of educational resources and products to help you live, work, and travel anywhere. It's the education I wish I had right away when I first started. Instead of floundering around the internet and trying to read random articles and make things happen, I wish I had one package of materials where I could just go through them and I would get all the skills that I needed to get something going so I could you know, be able to earn a living from anywhere. And it took me a lot of time to figure that out. And I said, well, hey, why don't we put together something and offer it like this crazy discount so it's actually people can get an affordable education around this whole location-independent lifestyle and how you make this happen, how you actually make it happen. And how you do is by having a certain core set of skills and how you get those skills is through education, like any other skill. But getting that education can either be expensive or hard because it's hard to figure out where to go and what exactly to learn. So we put it all in one place for you. It's over $5,000 worth of education that's priced over 90% off for one week only from May 29th through June 4th. And you can get on the list and grab that hotspots guide and you'll be able to learn more about this and check it out and get some other free stuff. And you can also go to the website, theparadisepack.com and see what's in it because it's um, it's truly a spectacular chance to get a comprehensive education around this stuff that you can't get anywhere else. You really can't get this anywhere else. And uh, it's tough to get all these contributors together to uh, agree to discount these incredible educational offerings 
uh, so much, you know, over 90% off, but they do it because we all care and we want to help people do that thing that have that freedom that we have the ability to work from anywhere. So I hope that if that sounds interesting to you, you will check it out and we'll be sending out more information again. It's May 29th through June 4th, 2018. So don't miss it. Thank you once again for taking time to be here, to hang out with me. A million podcasts out there. Literally, I don't know. There might be literally a million. I don't know. Maybe more. But you're listening to this one. You're hanging out with me. I, um, I'm really grateful for that. And I, I thank you for your time. Go make it an incredible day today. Do that. Have a, have a wonderful day. Smile. Take a chance today. Maybe book a trip. Maybe make a little step towards a, a goal or a travel goal you've been thinking about and get a little momentum on that. That's always a good feeling. I'll leave you with this quote from Brian Chesky, who's the co-founder of Airbnb. He said, culture is simply a shared way of doing something with a passion. Thanks again. I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 